But if you want to go, but if you want to push this electric agenda, where are the batteries going? And it's it's hard as a consumer, as a person that wants to see the big picture, that wants to see where we can go so I can support it because I want to support it and I want to see it happen. How do I do it without emptying my pocketbook so people, other people can profit? You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show with Wendy. There will be body damage. Jeep Mama. Are you sure? Josh. Yeah, I don't think so. And Tony. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. Oh, yeah. You always have to brace yourself for the Jeep Talk Show. You never know what to expect or what's gonna, what the hell's going to happen because tonight's going to be a, a free for all. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling that. I'm calling our guests by the wrong name, which you guys know that that that's a typical thing here. And the Zoom people are raring to go. Now, last week uh, we had a uh, just an impromptu uh, discussion about electric vehicles, and uh, we had a uh, one of our listeners uh, email uh, into uh, into us. Uh, he went over to uh, JeepTalkShow.com/slash/contact and looked up how to uh, send us an email, and did and said. Hey, I know what the hell I'm talking about. And I'm paraphrasing here, Daniel, so you can help me. <laughs> I know what the hell I'm talking about. You really ought to have me on so I can set you guys straight about electric vehicles. And that's not what he said at all. He was very, very pleasant. Said, you know, the, the long-time listener, first-time caller, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like they do on The Simpsons, which I thought was funny. Um, but, uh, Daniel, thank you very much for being here. Can we, can we call you by your stage name? I mean, can we use your last name here? Or do you want to stay kind of anon- anonymous? Yeah, you can use my full name. That's fine. All right. So, no uh, and I and I swear to God, I'm going to say David, and you you correct me when that happens. <laughs> Daniel Bowmaster, uh, Bowermaster. So, Bowermaster, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm just going to call you David Bowmaster. Uh, it's like the, like sure. the Beastmaster. That's my stage name. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, tell the folks you you heard us talking about electric vehicles and the power uh, sucking up power off the, the the grid and all that stuff. And and you jumped in there, and uh, what did you what did you have to say to us in the the email? I mean, you work for a company uh, that uh, handles these type of issues, and you've been at the the job for the last twelve years. Yeah, so maybe uh, thank you very much, first of all, for having me. Of course, uh, maybe have a bit of a background um, first, personal, and then um, yeah, I'll, I'll jump on the professional piece. So I'm a jeeper too. Uh, a lot of the folks on the show are, are more hardcore than me. Um, down in the garage, I have a 82 Scrambler that's slightly modified, um, works great. And then uh, I have a 64 Willys wagon that now is a leaking fuel pump. So um, wife and I have three kids. So, you know, everybody has commitments, <laughs> kids or not. Sure. So you can kind of imagine what those, uh, those all fall up. I grew up in uh, rural northwestern coastal California um, up by all the redwood trees. And um, most of my off-roading uh, was done... Um, Again, in very remote corners of, of uh, Humboldt County, my family has an off-the-grid cabin that my great-grandparents got in the 30s, and we've had it ever since. Uh, before my time, Grandpa had a, a 55 Willys wagon, and when I was born, he had an early 70s full-size um, Wagoneer. Um, we had various four-wheel drives growing up. Um, my uh, uh, second car was a Scrambler, so I've had that a long time. Oh, wow. Uh, today, Dad, Dad still has a... Um, kind of a jeep salad it's a 43 uh gpw mixed with a 46 ish cj2a looks military ish but if you're hardcore it's it's you know obviously missing things so 
between dad and I, we, uh, we enjoyed, enjoy jeeping. Um, and yeah, so listen to the show for a long time. Um, it's been great. Appreciate it. Appreciate y'all doing it. It's a lot of work. Um, and yeah, jumping over to the professional side, uh, I work at a, uh, <laughs> a nonprofit research that does uh, research on the electric grid, which usually is a way to, if you're at a bar, to make that conversation go to anybody else in the room. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, 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 the Institute is a nonprofit. We don't do any lobbying. We just do applied R&D. So we do everything from demonstration to product development, and data collection analysis. And we kind of live in this funny space. Uh, in between like, um, you know, startups and the big companies and universities where we, we try to solve short and long-term uh, real problems involving the grid. Mm-hmm. Our group does uh, electric transportation, so my team specifically. So that is everything from, you know, Jeeps and other cars and trucks and things that go to the to electrifying, like the big cranes you see unloading freighters at seaports to electrifying airport ground equipment, forklifts, et cetera. Um, we've been working on electric transportation, big and small, for 30 years. Um and again, we've done everything from vehicle co-development to charging co-development, charging standards. I could bore you all with details. Anyway, I heard I, I listened to uh, the the show last week for with with great enthusiasm because obviously it's something we we do every day. Um, did I've you get pissed off at any point? Did, did, did we get yeah. it so wrong that you're, you're screaming at the your audio device saying no? You don't know what the hell you're talking about. No, I mean it was. I mean there's. There's, there's always different perspectives on the different challenges. And I think that was probably my takeaway. It's like, oh, there's, there's like a lot of passion around this and there's still a lot of challenges. And so I'll be the first to say, you know, there's still a lot of, you know, there's there's no silver bullet um, with electric vehicles or hydrogen or natural gas, whatever you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot, there's no shortage of challenges and there's no, you know, you don't get, I'm kind of a pragmatist. You don't get, you know, there's, you don't get something for nothing. There's no free to lunch. Every, every decision right. has consequences. So I heard all the questions. I heard all the statements. I was like, oh, I don't know if you want to, have me get on and, and ask me questions and ask my two cents, but this is some of the stuff I do um, all the time. I'm the dumbest guy on the team. I have a team of people who work for me who are way smarter than me. They oh, do I, all the hard uh, uh, Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, <laughs> so I go. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so so uh, I just want to make sure I, I, I'm going to hone this down to the most important part. I was right uh-huh. with what I was saying. We're just not there yet. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so what you're saying is there's a chance I'm right. I like that. <laughs> if I'm right about this, I got to be read about uh, right about red jeeps too, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, was there anything that you wanted to uh, mention before we get started with the the Zoom folks? Because I'm ready to let them get in here and just uh, chew away. No, I'd rather like turn it over to them. I mean, I'll be happy if there's like low spots in the conversation to talk about that or the other thing but i'd rather turn it over to the folks who took the time to dial in and ask questions okay well good and, and so here so the 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 zoom people which i think they're they're lobbying to be called the zoom knights knights of the round table <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna bring them in and and zoom folks awesome. I, I i know you've been here before but let's uh, let's remember to uh, just say uh, who you are and where you're located on the first time that you speak. And uh, I know there's going to be collisions uh, as we're talking, but uh, do the best you can there. So uh, we've got Daniel, and he's uh, obviously got some experience. Uh, I think somebody brought up, it maybe it was Jimmy. I don't know if Jimmy's here with us tonight or not. Uh, yeah, he's here, uh, where he was talking about uh, uh, the grid. You know, where how are we going to uh, charge all these electric vehicles so uh, you can start there or start wherever you like with this uh, this conversation. Yeah, so it's it's a legit, um, it's, a le- it's definitely a, a concern. Uh, the first thing is, and this just kills me from a financial perspective, but most cars, 
sit parked like 20 and 22 and a half, 23 hours a day. So there's actually quite a bit of time to recharge a vehicle. And, you know, the, unlike getting gas, you know, charging your vehicle most of the time, it's, it's kind of like charging your smartphone. You, you do other things, you work, you cook, you watch a movie while your vehicle charges. Mm -hmm. And you really only need on a daily basis. And I'm talking averages here, which kind of can get you in trouble, you know, a couple hours of charging, um, uh, to, to recharge overnight. So there's actually quite a bit of excess capacity in the, in the grid, uh, late at night. Cause they're, ba you can basically think about the grids built up for the, the hottest days of summer. So the hottest, you know, whether it's Phoenix or Texas, or right. and I used to live in Texas, not just a California guy. Um, Sorry. you know, uh, it, it, <laughs> so if you can, the point is, is if you make it easy on people, and there's technologies out there that do this today, both in the vehicles and in startups and things like that, where it's like, Hey, charge me by 5. AM during the week and by 7 a.m. during the weekend, I'll, when I get home, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock at night, whatever it is, I'll physically plug in the car for the Jeep. And, the, but it won't, it might not start charging until late at night when there's, there's excess capacity on the grid. So that, that part is less, um, less concerning. And even if, um, even if all the, all the passenger vehicles, um, including pickups, et cetera, like became electric, that's still roughly like a 25% increase in grid load and it would take kind of depending on two, whose numbers you believe between like 18 and 24 years for the entire u.s automotive fleet to turn over now you know everything's kind of shot with the virus and things like that but yeah, the point is there's time and, and utilities have gone through this before whether it's you know everything from you know heat pumps to air conditioning and things like that so they're they're used to managing load now that being said um there are vulnerabilities on the grid. I mean, you all in Texas experienced this last year at, you know, right on Valentine's Day. There's ice storms, there's fires, there's all that kind of stuff. So there is improvements to be made with resiliency. Right. And there's also that discussion about, um, you know, and this is where the purists um, and the more practical folks disagree. It's like, well, how, whether it's, you know, sources of power on the grid or, you know, what, what, what are the actual cars, you know, how much, how much combustion um, is needed, you know, whether it's on the on the grid side of it to the natural gas or a coal power plant or what have you, or a nuclear. Um, well, it's just not really combustion, but uh, how much how much that type of of generation do you need? Also, on the vehicle side, you know, there's some purists who think like, oh, we need to go 100% electric for everything, and then there's some other folks who think, well, yeah, maybe for some folks. But then you know, like a plug-in hybrid that has like you know, you're mentioning the Wrangler 4RXE, and the Jeep also has like a Grand G4RXE that's coming. Um, you know, it's a plug-in hybrid. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, where you have the best of or worst of both worlds, depending on your perspective. You know, it has twice the maintenance. You got two powertrains, but you also have way more flexibility and reliability. So, so you um, said two you know, hours. That, that, you said two hours on charge, and that that would be not a full charge, not like you're completely empty. Maybe that's what we were thinking about. That it would take hours, correct. and I guess it would depend on how you're charging. If you're if you're using a 220 volt, or are they all 220? I I, I don't know, or 240. You can. Yeah, you can, it's, it's home, home charging is either the 240 or you can, and we've done this too with ours. You can just plug into a, a, a new grounded 120 volt outlet works fine too. But that so, takes yeah, longer. The two hours, yeah, it takes substantially longer. Yeah. Um, but it works for quite a few people. I, the two hours comes from to like replace your average daily miles. So it's gotcha. the stat is something around, you know, like 85% of the U.S. population drives, you know, uh, fewer than 40 miles a day. So um, that's where that kind of two hours comes from now. Obviously, if you're a, a, a you know king of the commute or queen of the commute, or you're a, some kind of delivery driver, you know there's there's always obviously exceptions. But if you look at the data, you know most people drive kind of in between that 20 and 40 mile range now. 
then that's for like daily driving your, your car and a smartphone or you charge it like a smartphone there still is the issue of long distance travel where you you know you need to stop and fast charge and that's an area that's um getting better but still not at the same route or same time as it is to refuel gas you know it takes six seven minutes to refuel um you know call it an average size truck or crossover what have you in and that fast charge has dropped down to kind of like 15 or 20 minutes so oh, it's more that's about not, that's not so bad yeah it's if you stop for like i mean I, I think back to when i was single i mean i was in and out of a gas station as quick as could be oh yeah um, there's no fun at a gas with, station <laughs> yeah close to zero with um now with the family i'm not going to point fingers at any of the five of us but it just takes us a lot longer <laughs> so the times we've fast charged our ev the car was done before we were and it's a little different in the fact you're not necessarily reef you know recharging your your ev to 100 percent. you're you're charging enough so you get to the spot at the end of the day where you can charge like overnight when you're parked right so um now we're not and again i i, I live in the real world as, as we all do um you know that we don't have widespread charging infrastructure where you know at every hotel or at every house or at every apartment complex there's a bunch of you know low cost 240 volt charging stations where everyone can recharge overnight so there's there's gaps and but that's where i where i say like well we're, you know we're not we're not quite there yet uh for the fully electric now some of the you know we can all love or hate tesla and i definitely as a former guy who worked in factory I have a long list of things that concern me about tesla but you can't say tesla has done their charging network quite well um, not only for how many they are but just you know the car you tell the car where you're going to go you're going to grandma's house two states away or <coughs> what have you and it'll tell you what what charging stations to stop at you know, oh very nice so tesla has that nailed and some of the recent startups do too and, and the traditional car companies are chasing that bogey um but the reality is right now is despite all the wall street money and taxpayer money and utility money that's put in like public charging is a pretty mixed experience oh i could very i could very well imagine because the the infrastructure hasn't been built out all right zoom people jump in there anybody have a question something they want to add i got i got a question this is john from austin obviously the recipient of all the people escaping california Um, (laughs) our our grid has been under siege or so to speak and, and in more ways than one you know water electric everything is just it's it's a mess down here because of the, the extreme population boom that we've had, um, including Tesla, right? Right. Um, one of the questions yeah. I had about extensions is actually, um, if we, we look at our power tools, one of the ways that you can take and keep those keep working was with kind of like a quick change battery, right? So I know we talk about charging from the point of view of stopping and spending a few hours doing fast charges and everything else, but, and, and I don't expect quick change batteries on cars uh for a full charge but you know kind of like a 50 or 100 or 200 mile or whatever extension whatever it may be is there any work being done since you're in the research industry kind of looking at that as options related to kind of a a situation similar to a gas station right place where you can drop off and maybe drop a used extension battery or whatever and pop in a new one you still have a larger battery for like the full charge at night if you're from somewhere but you kind of got that that way to, to pick up kind of like a gas station what a, what a great way to get rid of a crappy battery <laughs> <laughs> but it keeps yeah, the, if you think about it it keeps the it keeps the batteries or the old because one of the bigger concerns of electric cars as well is that batteries go bad i mean i was just bitching when i first got on here my five-year-old macbook battery is just total garbage right now you got to have it hooked up to power you can't use the damn thing yeah um so you know that can in that situation if you had a say 
let's put the capitalism to work, right? A, a place that could keep these batteries rotated. You can subscription service or whatever, some sort of um, infrastructure model similar to gas, only you're, you're delivering newer batteries, you're taking the old ones out, you're recycling the ones that have gotten kind of uh, past their you know efficiency standard of 80% or whatever the cycles are. And, and obviously, I'm not talking about, like I said, a full battery, because that would be pretty difficult with the current density levels in there. But I'm talking, you know, somewhere in the range of like a 30 or 40% quick hit um, for a swap. So just curious if there's anything like that even being looked at in the research side of the house. Yeah, and there's actually some real world stuff going on over over in Asia. There's a, a Taiwanese um, motor scooter, scooter company, you know, like a little motorcycle that started off doing battery swapping. It's the batteries there are obviously much smaller. It's like the size of a loaf of bread. And not only do they have these, I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes there, like, you know, racks of like 50 or 100 of them at, at the gas station. But then like you go to 7-Eleven and they have them in the corner by the Slurpee machine. And since they're so small, you can just swap one in and out. And that also opens up, and you mentioned this, is that then you can, you know, people can buy or lease the, in this case, the scooter, um, separate from the battery. And so that, you know, you you can buy the scooter and lease the battery or, or however, however the customer wants to do it. And what's interesting is not only is that model taken off like wildfire and it's spread across Southeast Asia, but then some of the big, four of the big um, motorcycle companies, Honda among them, have signed up for the, you know, for that standard. So I expect to see stuff like that happen in, in different parts of Asia, you know, the grids in kind of various conditions. And we've, we've seen that before where there's, there's parts of, I don't want to pick on different parts of the world, but basically, you know, there's some parts have better grids than others so i think and there's also um is it rivian or ford one of the two pickup truck companies just put in a patent where like basically behind the cab in the bed there's like a slot where you can add in kind of what you're talking about an extra battery and again it's not a it's not a you're not doubling your battery it's that extra whatever it is 20 30 40 percent so for those long trips or that if your job requires you know hey i'll be out in the wood woods today like you know cutting trees and gathering firewood and I need an extra battery, you, you can buy it or rent it and throw it in the back. Um, and then the third thing is that there are a few global ca car companies, that newer ones that are looking at battery swapping again. Um, one of them is a big Chinese company that's starting to uh, take off in China and also expanding into Europe. And, you know, yeah, yeah it's, so it's, there's... It's Rivian that uh, has the, the patents, the removable bed-mounted battery pack. So that was... Uh, I looked that up real quick while you were talking. So yeah, it's Rivian yeah. that's looking at doing that. So I could see isn't there, you know, isn't there research being done um, around the aluminum air battery where you could go between fifteen hundred and three thousand miles on a on one battery, and you do the quick swap. Yeah, there's a, a lot question. of work done on Dallas. It. <laughs> 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 I used to live in Louisville, so right out right outside <laughs> in the north part of Dallas there. Um, there's a lot of work and questions on that. What people are trying to balance is you have the, you know, the energy of the battery, you know, how much energy can it carry, the power output of the battery, you know, how long does it last, the life of the battery, then what does it cost? And you know, all these different formulas of batteries that people are looking at um, have pros and cons. Right now, it's pretty tough for the foreseeable future uh, to, to touch lithium uh, ion, which is like in our laptops and things like that. The difference that nearly every electric vehicle has compared to our laptops or phone is th the car companies dumped in tons of engineering resources to like basically cool and heat and treat the battery like gold. Um, unfortunately, Nissan basically did not. <laughs> that uh, with the Leaf, uh, their their SU or crossover that's coming out 
later this year is 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 like everybody else's battery very well taken care of so that so, um you know batteries are expected to last longer than they do in our customer devices so this is steve o from outside chicago area you, you you mentioned cooling how much has the cooling technology advanced and the reason i ask is my buddy has a 4xc that he got about two months ago month into it brand new there was a crack in the cooling tank and it drained on him burned out the battery wow. so it, how much do the cooling systems need to be upgraded or are they there or does that still work to go yeah i mean i think uh you know stellantis fiat chrysler you know there you go <laughs> ownership goes back a ways you know that right now they have the chrysler pacifica plug-in hybrid and the wranglers their second so they're still i would say in the earlier um earlier days i mean they've done they did like an electric fiat a while ago and they've they had some stuff you know 10 12 years ago um unlike some of the other companies they're still it's not just the 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 oems it's the supplier base is getting is figuring this all out so um you know i think there's still work to be done as everyone scales and everyone transitions or adds i would say electric vehicles so you know it's it's uh uh, my parents always told me never buy if, if you buy a new car you know don't buy one the first year mm -hmm. uh, i don't know how much that holds true today but there are definitely growing pains but yeah the coolant like for example different different battery companies will basically thread that through the cells in different ways to, to keep that you know, temperature temperature how it is Batteries kind of like humans they like to be right around 70 degrees ish um for the most part um get them too hot or too cold they don't like that but that that kind of battery management system and then that thermal layer largely isolates them um but i think i think batteries, it just, go ahead another question Doc. daniel i had a question this is chip from illinois um so i went off-roading with a, a guy who was driving a 4xe now they're rated for like what 23 miles or something like that under electric power but on the trails he got about three miles yeah because of because of the use of that so when we start looking at or trying to get efficiencies of off-roading with a truly electric vehicle i mean we got we've got a long ways to go is that yeah is there yeah. anything in development that you're aware of that that might offset that and then i kind of have a follow-up question i just drove seven hours from illinois to pittsburgh pennsylvania i'm pulling in the hotel how would I have done that with an electric vehicle? If I guess with the rapid charger in 15 minutes or something, I could have maybe limped over here seven hours versus driving a little bit in excess of the speed limit, hitting the gas tank. I went through a tank and a half of gas. I mean, how do I do, how do I do long road trips in an electric vehicle? Yeah. So uh, the offering question first. So I think there's, there's probably some tuning that can be done to recapture um it's called regenerative braking but it's more like regenerative spinning because you're not using the brakes you're just spinning the electric motor backwards to recapture energy so i think i would imagine this is my hypothesis that you know whether it's jeep or toyota or anybody else who does hardcore off-roader uh, there's probably some tuning there where they can recapture the energy more so you're using that um you're using your engine to to you know brake on the trail and, and recapture that energy versus the brakes so i don't know exactly what that's that you know well, that he was, was doing like, that he was doing he was doing that, but it wasn't effect. It didn't help. I mean, it didn't get him didn't down help. the yeah. trail. Uh, that that you know that exists on the four XE, and he was he incorporated that into it, and so he was going downhill or different things. He was trying to do that as much as he could. Made it about three miles. 
Yeah, it's it's so really they, interesting because like you know Jeep claims that they take they took the 4xe over the Rubicon on electric power, which is like okay. I mean, I, I don't I don't doubt them, but I don't know I don't know what that means. I don't know how they drove. You know how heavy you know how heavy were they on the go pedal? You know that that sort of thing. Um, it was uh, I tethered love. to a helicopter <laughs> as they dr- drove across. <laughs> The Rubicon. We were, <laughs> we were in four, we, we were in four low on my on moder, mile trails. It was the easy group, really no no excessive speeds at all, just crawling along at a nice, even smooth four low first gear kind of pace. How does how does the four XE motors? I'm I'm just curious. This is probably not a question necessarily for a grid expert, but you know, Chip, I don't know you saw it in person there, but is the four XE does it route through? The normal transfer case, flywheel, all that. I mean, how does it go from a four low point of view? I mean, is it actually using kind of the the gear reduction of four low, or is it just torque manipulation at at the electric motor side? Ooh, we got a four XC owner on here. Yeah, yeah, I can I can jump in on that. This is Kevin from Arkansas. I have a four IE or four XE and a uh, Tesla. But so the way the four IE works is. Um, basically it's got the two O turbo and then where the torque converter normally sits in an automatic, that's where they shove the electric motor. Uh, so the rear half of the transmission back is the exact same as a normal JLU. Um, and I've, I've wheeled mine in Colorado and hot springs. Um, and yeah, I'll have to agree. Uh, definitely if it's cold or hot, three, four miles is about all you'll get on pure electric. Now, Colorado, you can go further because, you know, for every mile you go uphill, you're going to go down the same amount and it'll kind of recharge that battery. So, interesting. So, you have yeah. all the same parasitic, uh, uh, not really draw, but you have all those the same mechanical losses with where this, uh, where the electric engine is, is mounted, where if probably if it was mounted uh, at the wheels, uh, where you could just you can go drive the uh, the wheels directly, it probably would be a, a lot more efficient. Oh, I would think so. Yes, yeah. But what fun would yeah. that be? You couldn't use your yeah, transfer exactly. case and everything else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could do the same thing with the motors, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it was I mean, mainly for a design point. That way, they didn't have to redo the JL right completely. Yeah. Well, the four XC was really capable. I mean, it it. The torque was nice, and I mean, they it did a great job. It's a little heavier with the batteries in it, right? But mm-hmm. I thought it it performed extremely well. Oh, electric motors yes. are, are are certainly the future. It's just like I keep telling you guys the it's the battery, it's the power, not necessarily the battery, but the power that the power density just isn't there. I mean, to get you would need a a nuclear reactor from a submarine. To get to have enough power to do what the things that we want to do, but that has to be shrunk down, and uh, then um, you know, hopefully where it doesn't uh, uh, set up some way where it, whenever there's an accident or an overload, it doesn't uh, take out a city block. Uh, so, but I don't I don't see that happening anytime soon. Right now, it's just going to be this this back and forth. Like man, when I was a kid and had a flashlight and, and D sized batteries. Uh, I mean that, that that damn flashlight was dead in thirty minutes. I guarantee you. So so on the grid question, though, back to that. So um, I know we've had a lot of issues with the grid here in Texas, and that's like I said, it's only getting worse. Um, you know, what's the current? What what do you think the current penetration of EVs are? 
that are actually impacting the grid yet? I mean, do we have enough data to understand what the true overall impact would be? Um, you know, so in other words, do we have a sample size that you can, you know, extract what a, a larger penetration would look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I haven't forgot about part two of the, of the previous question, but uh, oh, good, on this one, man. so the, the, um, Final 2021 numbers aren't in yet, but it looks like north of 4% of the market is, is EVs. Now that varies from 0% in some parts of the world to there's some uh, counties that are north of like 22%. Um, so we already there's already spots where, where as, a, as a researcher, you can overlay, um, you can look at uh, EV charging versus, you know, like real world data all times of the year. Um, we've, we've, we've done it. Phoenix, Texas, Baltimore, um, and the North Pacific Northwest. And what we're seeing is that uh, there's enough, now granted the last two years have been kind of screwy, but the, um, there's enough, <laughs> enough variation in how, in how all we humans behave that there's, that there's not an issue. And the places where, um, where it's California or, or Phoenix or, or, or other places that have like cheap off peak rates for whatever your electrical load is, um, those rates so far are largely effective in, in, in um, you know, making sure everything stays in balance and in frequency. So there's, there's, there's not a generation problem. There's, they talked about capacity, you know, there's plenty of like excess capacity late at night to charge these. Um, and, you know, in the neighborhoods, uh, either the, the houses are already pre-wired, you know, you have, a, you have a welder in your garage or an extra dryer circuit so that you know the grid right outside your your door is already designed to carry that and you just plug your electric car into that circuit or if you you know if you got to put in another 240 volt circuit you got to pull a permit which triggers like the utility to look at the pulling kind of the pull top transformer so that that's manageable for this point i think there are some concerns around um when, when you know when the big fleets start to electrify whether it's you know your your, your local you know county transit bus system uh, they're going to have a big charging depot somewhere or, you know, UPS or FedEx or that sort of thing. And it's not about, it's not about whether or not the utility can provide power to the grid. It's more about how long does it take and how much is the bill. Um, we can, we can, we can go more into detail, but basically the regulated utilities can't build a head of load. They're not allowed to by rate makers because that keeps costs down. But they can, they can to a certain extent. And they kind of file these plans every three years. Hey, hey. Mr. Miss Regulator, this is what we'd like to do. Do you approve? And that's for the, you know, that's the investor-owned utilities that are regulated separately. You know, um, the, you know, the, whether it's Con Ed or Southern Cal Edison or that sort of thing. Now, there's 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 smaller municipal utilities. Uh, uh, Austin Energy is a good one. I know there's someone on the phone from Austin. Um, you know, SMUD or Seattle City Light, and they those those uh, those, those those don't have their regulators are they're self-regulated. And they have a little bit more flexibility. So, you know, like if a big subdivision comes in or a Walmart comes in or what have you, um, you know, there's, there's a process to do all this, but, you know, it takes time. And if it triggers like having to build a new substation or pull new wire, like that takes time and money. And then what's the, you know, who pays that cost? Is it the new customer? Is it the new FedEx or UPS or Pepsi yard that's paying? Um, or is it, you know, partly them and then partly everybody else? And there's, there's really, a, I don't want to criticize utility regulation, but we'll just say lots of details on the books already for how that works. It's <laughs> just one reason why utilities are, you know, move at the pace they do. Uh, so I think to me, it's more, it's, that's more the challenge is like, Hey, are you, are you going to, and then again, 
I don't I don't have an answer to this question. Like, hey, Mr. Miss Regulator, are you going to let the utilities build ahead or or not? And you know, those cool. answers both have pros and cons. But to me, that's 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 more of the bigger challenge with the grid. And there's definitely some challenges at the other end of the spectrum. Um, you know, on the on the distribution side, whether it's you know ice storms or tree branches or what have you, where it's like, okay, the the current the current system doesn't seem to be working well at times. So, what needs to change on the current system to make sure that you know you don't have a old tree that falls on a power line, or you know when it, the temperature drops <laughs> and the air intakes to the natural gas plants freeze up, and you know there's no more natural there's no more electricity being made. You know, like <laughs> what's what's the answer there? So, there's still there's still challenges. I'm not, I don't. I, just, want to, I don't want to get on here and say like, "Oh, the grid's perfect now and forever." That's not. That's not accurate. <laughs> but this is this is Chris from Detroit, and I've got a question. Uh, you mentioned the grid, and forgive me, I joined a little bit mid sentence. But in Detroit, at times, uh, I can think of maybe once a summer, every other summer, it's really hot, really humid in the Midwest. We have a big load on AC, and we do experience brownouts. I, I can't say it's anything like what y'all expect experience in Texas, and maybe some other parts of the country, but uh, there, it is obvious when the humidity's high, the heat's high, it starts to brown out. And again, that's that's an exception. My concern with specific to the electric grid, if theoretically um, we get to where every other house, let's say, has an electric vehicle that, that they're charging at various points in the day or even the evening, uh, is based on my experience with brownouts and you know a couple of days of, of high uh, humidity and high AC use, wouldn't that just be amplified with additional adoption of EVs? Yes, and is one reason why the <laughs> yeah, people are working on different policies and incentives and technologies to get around that. So there's different solutions to that problem. You can, you know, pull. You can you can basically like reinforce the grid from the circuit in the wall all the way up to the you know nuclear power plant that's hundreds of miles away and everything in between. So that's one option there's options for local storage or community storage and storage doesn't necessarily just have to be a battery you know there's other ways to look at it um there's also the idea of like local generation that can be everything from you know solar panels to you know a standby generator and everything like that and this is where again the the purists and the and the pragmatists might differ a bit you know a, a purist might say like oh it's got to be you know clean wind and solar and that sort of thing um, someone else might oh. say, well, this is where a backup liquid fuel generator actually works quite well. My boss likes to say a little bit of combustion goes a long way. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, is that to say we're all going to have, you know, gen sets on trailers outside our house? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, I think, I think in my, this is my opinion. Um, all this has been my opinion. Uh, <laughs> I, I can see a future <laughs> when my boss hears this podcast. My boss is a wheeler, too. Uh, there is, I think, I can see a future for cleaner standby liquid fuel generators. Now, what is the liquid fuel that goes in those? I'm not sure. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> yeah, there's obviously, a, ver a variety of options. Um, it Fr won't be unicorn tears. I'll tell you that. I I'm but, thinking you know, French fry grease would be nice because that smells so good. Let me let me ah, get you, so <laughs> Daniel. Let me get you go go back to Greg's second question. You, I think you were trying to keep that on the the top of your head. Oh yeah. He was talking about driving. You know, seven hours on a tank a tank and a half of fuel. How is he going to do that in an electric vehicle? So the technology is getting there. They just released the car. Now, granted, it's more expensive than many of us can afford. Um, they can go 520 miles EPA, and they just did a. I was listening to a couple of podcasts actually this morning, and they some pretty tough critics did some 
75 mile an hour highway test and they got it to 500 miles. Wow. So, you know, that's a, that's an expensive electric vehicle with a big battery, but it's extremely efficient. It's former, it's former Tesla and other folks in the auto industry. So there is, there is technology that's, that's close. Um, again, if, 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 if you're the type, when you travel, you can get in and out of a gas station in five or six minutes. Um, yeah, EVs are not there yet. If, uh, you got to stop some time for a burger, for a coffee, uh, 15, 20 minutes, then, then there's technology today that will, you know, give you a, call it 60, 80% boost, you know, give you a couple hundred miles of range, um, at your midday or your mid morning or whatever it is, you know, kind of coffee break. And then again, you got to have, you don't, you don't have to, but the, 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 the vision is to have charging at the end. So when you get to that hotel, you check in and you pay an extra, whatever it is, you know, couple bucks for like this low cost simple low power charging that's out in the parking lot or in the parking garage but the bottom line is like when you go out to your car in the morning or your truck or whatever it is even if it's five in the morning like you're full again and you can start off with a full a full battery so there's you know some of the pieces are there some are getting better and then some aren't there yet but this is you know isn't, there's isn't that more of the the idea that goes down the um wireless charging of of vehicles um, I'm trying to remember the the company that does it. There's a company that's doing essentially like how you wirelessly charge your phone, but you could wirelessly charge your <clears throat> your vehicle. You pull in your parking spot, and it's got it built into the concrete underneath, and it centers. So you hit the auto park button. It senses that the that it's there, and it go ahead and it parks right over it. Yeah, I could I could definitely see it. Wireless charging has come a long ways. The efficiencies are nearly the same as as corded. And there's uh, we've done a few like bus uh, demonstrations. That use wireless charging to, right now wireless charging works the best if you know whether it's a taxi stand or you know an airport shuttle or a hotel shuttle or a bus stop where you like know the vehicle and you know where it's going to be um so i can see some potential there and yeah you know maybe it'll it'll take over for you know workplaces and home like you'll have in your garage you know the question that always comes up with wireless is like does it still cook the cat i mean no offense to any cat <laughs> or any people on the well, there's all kinds of different floor. opportunities for wireless charging this is greg and yeah. Pulse, i mean you know, when we uh, uh, pull up to a drive through at our local fast food place, that's all done by uh, 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 elect the electric wires in the concrete that read that your vehicle's there so they know that you uh, the, that uh, they can talk to you on the intercom. Same thing at the stoplights. They have electric wires that are cut in uh, right there at the stoplight to, to let the, the, the uh, technology within the lighting grid know that there's a vehicle there so they can start the timer for the light can change from red to green to allow you to go through that so they can implement charging stations at those locations when you're just sitting there trying to wait for a burger at mcdonald's you can get charged for your car same thing with uh sitting there at a stoplight and you know i'm sure that can even advance further if you can maybe be able to be charging your car as you're driving down the road through a downtown uh, metropolitan area one thing a uh, question that i had though um is uh uh, we haven't really talked about the different types of electricity. Certainly you have generation that comes from the plants and then that generation, the electricity from there is moved from, uh, from generation via transmission or the transmission poles through the different substations. And then it goes from, uh, from transmission to distribution. And typically those distribution lines are the ones that get hit by the tornadoes or the ice storms and stuff like that. That's what breaks down. It's not the transmission lines, it's the distribution yeah. lines. Those, those distribution lines are typically ran at 69 kV. And th then the 69 kV is distributed throughout the uh, neighborhood and it goes to our home. And, and many people in our home, most people have uh, 
I would say the majority of America has a hundred amp panel in their house. Some people even have fifty amps, and uh, even going to more rural places, you have a twenty amp panel in your home. Oh my! It's, not, it's, the, it's, it's the newer <laughs> homes that have. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you go out into uh, some really rural areas, uh, a farm homes like that built in the eighteen hundreds, you'll have twenty amp panels. But uh, uh, a lot of the homes that we live in nowadays will have two hundred amps. So, what's the draw from these cars? during the charging that would then will need to be facing uh, upgrading their electrical system in their homes to be able to draw you know to be able to even order the, to charge their car yeah so the, the good news is that i mean this is a, it's a good it's a good question i would say it's unknown i would also say like with the you know the advent of like you know the electric pickups and there's gonna be electric I mean, there's going to be electric SUVs and crossovers coming out of our ears here in the next couple of years. Um, those, you know, they're just like they burn more gas or diesel. They're going to eat, eat more electricity, too. So it's kind of unknown right now what the, the impact is going to be on the grid uh, and if customer behavior is going to change at all. Um, at home right now, you can charge up to 19.2 kilowatts. Um, start off at about 2, or actually 1. 1.2 which is like a hair dryer or a microwave that's the 120 mm -hmm. volts um and then you know with 240 for the longest time most evs are charging between 3.3 to 6 or 7 kilowatts and a few are at 10 and then tesla would go up to 19.2 but now um you know for just uh their lightning pickup that's coming out here f-150 lightning is coming out here in a couple months that will either charge it is it 11 or 12 on entry and 19.2 so that's 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 to your point that's big load so i think potentially it could really trigger some uh needed upgrades now again if there's like a someone has a dryer circuit in their garage or carport or uh you know a circuit they use for a welder um you know they can tap into that and use that instead um you know customers don't have to go to 19.2 you know four or five six kilowatts is is usually just fine for most people but you know we're america so it, <laughs> we, 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 our lives are largely what we want, not really what we need. So, I do think there's going to be there's an opportunity there, at least for um, education. You know, whether it's electrician or the local utility or somebody in between, being like, yeah, you know, you could you could install this five and a half kilowatt charger, or you could install this nineteen kilowatt charging station. One comes with significant more construction costs. Um, you know, if, especially like you said, trigger a panel upgrade or something like that. Um, and so Daniel, uh, correct uh, me if I'm wrong uh, on this, but just so everybody has an idea, 6,000 uh, kilowatts would be the equivalent of about four hair dryers running uh, simultaneously. Yeah, hair dryer, waffle, and coffee makers right around. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so when you hear the six, uh, it's not like the 2.5 gigawatts that you need to travel in time. It's right. <laughs> 1.21. 1. 1. Uh, <laughs> so, how, how many vehicles are they planning, you know, when they said to, to design? a system uh, for the grid to be able to support this. What's the average number of vehicles per household that they're planning to have uh, being charged at one time? Because right now, a lot of these conversations based on, from what I'm hearing, is the grid's not even capable of uh, supporting uh, one vehicle per household throughout the entire neighborhood. Well, how many people are going to be just going down to one vehicle since we go to electric? I mean, uh, I've got five vehicles parked in my driveway. Will I be able to charge all five of them simultaneously? Yeah. Well, we, I can, you know, there's, what, 
3,300 utilities in the U.S., and they all they all approach short and long-term planning differently. Um, what we've seen so far are the ones that are, you know, these yep. vehicles were largely launched in the coastal states. Um, so those utilities, not all, uh, but there's quite a few utilities across the country that have started to incorporate this into their short-term planning. So, you know, I don't know um, how many vehicles they're assuming. You know, the data we've seen in the early days, and again, I think this needs to be redone because it, it's it's fairly old. It's, it wasn't even on average a kilowatt per household. Now, averages get you in trouble because, you know, that's fine from a from a big picture. But if you're looking at the neighborhood transformer, the neighborhood circuit, it's more about, you know, do three or four houses in a row have EVs and do they all come home at the same time and plug in and charge all at the same time on a hot Phoenix night or something like that. So that's where the utilities are working with, um, you know, the car companies and their own customers to educate on, you know, possible um, solutions that, a are easy and B invisible and C meet all the customers' needs, but also at the same time minimize grid impact. You know, it's kind of a carrot and a stick. Different ways to do that. Um, there's everything from rates, um, you know, make it more expensive at certain times of the day, to you know, there's technologies. You know, that Chevrolet, for example, built into the car's dash. They have like a, and I think actually maybe the 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 four XE owner can chime in here. Um, they have it set up where. You just put in your charge by time and it's seven days a week. So you can, you know, Monday through Monday through Friday again. I used, I think, 5 a.m. before. Charge me by 5 a.m. Saturday, Sunday by 7 a.m. And I don't care what you do in the meantime. So that that kind of like load diversity really helps. Um, the the All the studies I've ever seen where they talk about EVs bringing down the grid assume that, you know, vehicles charge stacked on top of each other. You know, your AC is running at max and you're cooking dinner and you're charging, which is how the electric code works. So it's not wrong. It's just one, it's one, I would say, end of the, it's one extreme. Worst um, case scenario. Yeah, yeah, it's worst case. Also, you don't want to take best case and say like, oh, everyone's going to have smart charging and it's going to be negligible because that's also not accurate everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it, the worst case is, is safe. I mean, you know, if, yeah. you, if you can, if you've designed for worst case, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah, and that's how uh, that's how a lot of chargers are. I know the four by e you can do off peak charging. You know, set it for what times you get charged the lowest rate. The Tesla is the same way. Even on the the actual charging device itself that's mounted to the wall, I have a charge point, and you can tell it only to charge between certain times. So, I mean, that would take away a lot of the 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 peak. You know, as far as AC during the day, you can just tell it to charge at night. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, that's that's all well and good, but the reality is this isn't scalable, right? Because mm -hmm. we're talking about you in your neighborhood, and you have the one four XE. But if <laughs> if fourteen people down the street all have those things, and everybody says I'm going to charge at the non-peak times, it's the same conversation. I mean. I understand what you're saying, but this is just not scalable based on the grid that we have and the things that we have in place now. I, yeah, you would have to, I mean, we have solar on the house that so kind of helps with that. But um, I know California, you know, a lot of Tesla owners have solar on their house. So they're kind of helping the grid out as far as not pulling out of, you know, the neighborhood transformer. Sure, sure. But I mean, we keep hearing, well, if you have a welder in your garage, 
I submit to you that the guy with the welder in his garage doesn't have a 4XE in his garage either. <laughs> I mean, how much of this is really is really much more about ideology and less about the other uh, the savings component? Because I was a Honda dealer for 20 years, right? And we sold we were some of the first hybrid vehicles that were out there. And as soon as you ran the numbers about fuel costs against hybrid, very few people were really willing to go hybrid just simply because of the way their ideology and how they perceive the world. More people are looking at this purely on the dollar side. And, and I, I submit to you that I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And, and so it just, I, I struggle with this. I mean, I get it. That's great. And you have 4XE and you like it. That's great. Right on. Gal down the street. She's got one. She loves it. That's fine. If you're willing to pay the, the tax that goes along with that, I am not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's much like, say, a Gladiator diesel versus 3.6. You'll okay. never get that 7K back on a diesel. I mean, you have it because, you know, you wanted a diesel. That's that's yeah. it. Like that's you know. I mean, it's yeah. It's just, I would I would just yeah. I would just throw this out there. It's called an eco diesel, and I read a lot of the disappointment in the Gladiator. Just just kind of pounding on, uh, kind of backing up Patrick's point in a way. It's a D. It's an eco diesel. It's an eco diesel. I think the towing capacity is slightly less than the max tow with the three six. I believe because, yes, be, yes because of the weight. So it's an eco diesel. We we hear diesel, and and I've got experience working with the european oems jag and land rover specifically they've had diesels in europe for decades longer than we have here small diesels that is and it's all about fuel economy it's all about fuel economy it's not about towing and power but I, I don't i don't consider the, the 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 sorry i don't consider the gladiator diesel anything more than more a more economical version of the gladiator in some way except for range right if you mean if you talk to kind of no, it's, it's economy yeah absolutely yeah but right. beyond economy if you're talking about keeping you're talking about like someone who's going say overlanding right mm -hmm. and they want that that longer range so and and i think that's where we're fighting with regardless of the fuel source gas hydrogen diesel electric whatever it's all about the range and you know gas achieves the range by the ease of the infrastructure the infrastructure was built to support gas so we have gas stations everywhere, so it's easy to get the range we want. Um, I think the, the concern I have is really real about the, the grid itself. And, you know, as I, I mentioned before, we've got an overload of people from moving here in this area. And so the grid is a, a big issue. And, and that goes to the question I had for Daniel, right? Not David. Um, <laughs> you know, Texas has this thing called ERCOT. And I know you mentioned yep. something in Seattle, I think SMUD or whatever it is, right? So most of the grids are individual entities. So from a regulatory body point of view, to either mandate off-peak or to kind of all those things you're talking about, that, that seems pretty difficult from a national point of view to be able to, to push that out, right? Because there's, there's a lot of independent entities in charge of the rules and regulations yep. as it comes to the local utilities. Yeah, so I, I, you're you're absolutely right. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a patchwork quilt of of different regulatory bodies and authorities and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
we even talk about like building transmission lines or power plants anywhere. That's that's a whole new ball of wax. Um, you know what what I could see happening, in, at least in some parts of of the country, is kind of like what happened with air conditioning. You know, the this this uh, it was a novel new product. It was only for some people. It was expensive, um, and then the utilities, you know, not necessarily one at a time, but individually at least, started planning for it. And now, you know, no one really thinks about air conditioning load. It's just load like any other load. Um, you know, there's going to be, I, I can't imagine though, there, there will be parts of the country where, you know, the, the adoption rate of EVs moves faster than what the utility, local utility is doing and vice versa. You know, there's going to be parts of the countries where, where they, they are, you know, reinforcing the grid and upgrading the, the transformers when it's, when it's time or ahead of schedule. And then, you know, that the sales, you know, aren't there yet because largely the sales are split. <clears throat> so they're... There's, there's no shortage of challenges, and it's not it's not going to be easy. Um, it will the rate of adoption will take time though, which gives the utilities time. So, not an excuse to do just nothing, like but it, it did. Also it's just like it did when we went from horse-drawn carriages to automobiles. The road system infrastructure wasn't built overnight. They had the same debate that we're having right now. I think from, so. Right. Well, we this is the big difference. The big difference here is that we're trying to. You're going to have to force that change down people's throats. Instead of expanding via capitalism, gas stations and, and all that popped up because there was demand. All right. So we have demand for electricity and we're creating additional demand. But people are, if you laid it out where their electric bill isn't just going to hop up because of the extra electric, they're going to they're going to be have to pay for each month. But we're also going to have to pay an additional hundred dollars a month to rebuild the entire grid slowly over time or 50 bucks or whatever and we're subsidizing those changes as a nation um people are going to be a lot less ready to go i know it's being rebuilt yeah but i don't know if it's being rebuilt it's rebuilt the way it's going to be useful i mean right one of the big issues that we had (laughs) like texas texas was the the insistence so in texas obviously if you're going to plan maintenance for a coal-fired or whatever grid um you're going to plan it in the winter Oh yeah, because we, we no, have less air conditioning problem. on, <laughs> right? And, yeah, you got you to schedule your outages during that time frame. Yeah, and, and that's what they, that's what they did. The problem was is we had a failure across the board from solar and wind and everything else because they all froze up, right? Because they weren't built to to winter specs or whatever you want to call it. And all of our coal fired and you know combustion, as I think I heard it called, uh, plants were were a lot of them were going through maintenance, and that was one of the mm-hmm. things we had um related to that but you know couple couple of that with the the if you if you subsidize a technology that's not ready and you kind of push it out there that that is what's inviting disaster i think that's what scares a lot of people is yeah well capitalism isn't pushing this it's it's people's feelings it's like your mom telling you to clean up your room everything's going in the closet so you can go out and do what you want to do because people are going to take the least path of resistance and filling up a tank with fuel and driving seven hours and then stopping along the way and putting in more fuel and you know takes six minutes to do that is infinitely easier and you don't have to be you don't have to be concerned when the grid's down because somebody didn't plan outages properly the the fuel in your vehicle still starts it and runs hell it might even save your life because it can actually generate heat for you and keep you keep you alive so we're looking one of the big that's one of the things i got a question about this is larry from st louis 
you know, if you've bought into the electric vehicle, you're all in. It really doesn't matter. You 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 drank it, you drank Kool Aid, and you're you, you've already bought one. But for the rest of us, you know, I remember the onset of let's say battery powered tools. Well, I've got the 14 volt today. Well, that battery doesn't work in the next one. In two generations, I can throw the old ones away. So, you know, if we were to, if you were to go out and buy a new car today, what are you seeing as far as the evolution? Let's say I buy my new Tesla today, and well, they've found a way to make the batteries better. Well, now it doesn't work on the old system and or the upgrades that are costing more than a fifty thousand dollar car that I have. That's not wore out. I just can't charge it no more. Or the battery needs replaced that I can't buy. What are you seeing, you know, on, on that front? Yeah, so maybe first thing, taking a step back. So one of the problems in the past was that electric vehicles came in two flavors. Little city hatchbacks, which has a limited market no matter what powers them. As we Americans don't like them. And then expensive, you know, luxury or luxury-ish electric vehicles, Tesla being the big example, but there were some Germans there too. Now, the good news is there's more and more um, crossovers and SUVs and trucks that are either about to you know, launch or will be coming in the next, you know, call it two years. So there's more shapes and sizes of vehicles that we love. Um, the batteries, I, I, part of the problem with the batteries that one of the first electric cars to launch was the Nissan Leaf. And again, I'm not trying to pick on Nissan here, but the facts are, it's like their battery wasn't designed with the, with the, with the overlaying kind of battery management. It has a battery management system, but without that hardcore kind of cooling system to back it up, there's only so much you can do. Uh, everyone else did the hardcore, more expensive route. Nissan didn't. That's their choice. So there's stories and anecdotes of, you know, Nissan Leafs and the battery's not lasting long. So, uh, the, and the, to Nissan's, in Nissan's defense, the battery got better over time. Um, everyone else, what we're seeing is that the batteries are outlasting the cars. Now, there's always exceptions to that. Um, and there's still, you know, just like with anything, there can be problems in manufacturing or having. And batteries themselves, someone at the beginning of the call asked about, you know, different chemistries. I think, so let me answer the question. I'll get to my, my segue. Um, batteries are outlasting the cars. and They're also being designed to either be repaired in the vehicle or you can just take them out. And uh, not just take them out. It's like swapping a motor. But you can, <laughs> some are more integrated than others. But right. the idea is you can. If, if, a, if a cell or two goes bad in the vehicle, you can repair it. Otherwise, the battery will outlast the car. I do think there's a bunch of unknowns with, you know, there's, if you start adding up the numbers between the world's biggest automakers, it's, you know, 15 billion here, 18 billion there, and it's billion with a B of EVs over the next, you know, eight to 15 years. And it's like, where's all these battery raw materials going to come from? And I think there's different chemistries that offer pros and cons to that. You know, and, and here in the U.S., you know, it wasn't that many hundred years ago where we had a, a thriving mining industry. Now, you know, where we are today is like no little, little to no mining. I won't say no, but it's close to zero. So most of the mining takes place in other parts of the world. There's, you know, <clears throat> different different minerals are in uh, different are in shorter supply than others. Um, there's actually quite a bit of rare earth. Rare earth is one of those misnomers where it's actually there's quite a bit of rare earth. They just don't in nature they occur with other minerals so you got to split them apart and the u.s has a lot of lithium but now we don't want to mine it so i i think <laughs> you know the answer might be something in the middle where i mean it's great we have all this blm land for example that used to be former mining mines it's great for us to go drive our jeeps on 
But uh, you know, none of us is going to stop and drink the water out of a puddle next to an old mine, right? So that's that's one one extreme. And the other extreme is now is where we don't mine anything. It's like, well, that's all happening in other parts of the world. And it's those, not just the those mining. dirtier, filthier parts of the world where it belongs. <laughs> yeah. So it's a question we got to ask ourselves as a country. It's like, what do we want to do, and how do we want to do it? Um, and uh, I, but, you know, I, I, but I, I don't think the people <laughs> the people that don't want the mining are the same people that want the EV cars. Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, those are the same. It's the same subset of society that we don't want this, but we want that. Ironically, those two things don't coincide. So, not in my backyard. Now, when you say subset, do you mean a smaller set or subhuman, some human set? A smaller. Let's let's just go with smaller set. <laughs> Not subhuman. There we I'm go. not good. I, if you give me another half an hour, I might get there, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> it's it's well, all it's all a joke. Thing, I think what it all comes down to, I think what it all comes down to is that we're watching a lot of changes, and, and I think a lot of us. I, I I know I would be happy to go with an all electric Jeep just because if if the technology was there. Yeah. But at the same time, we're all pushing for green electricity. And at the same time, we know that the grid's not there. And we're pushing and we're pushing and we're pushing this agenda. And it's agenda and we're all looking at it saying, well, this is propaganda because Jeepers tend to think about the whole picture and how do we fix our way through things, right? And I'm not trying to pick on anyone who has an electric car. They're cool. They are cool. They've got these awesome, you know, features to them. I'm not knocking on them that way. What I am knocking on is the fact that we need to pick one thing and go that way instead of trying to legislate everything into existence. We can't do subsidies at $7,500 a vehicle. Honestly, I'm tired of paying for other people buying a vehicle because they want some new cool thing because you don't buy an electric car right now for economy. Um to the point of of saving the world. I mean, green economy, not not fuel economy. Um, right. We're buying them because it's a cool thing to have, and they're neat. And there's you know, because like why I talked about the other week, we're pushing like eighty percent, you know, non natural fuel or natural uh, non green fuels and carbon emission plants nationwide. Whether you say the renewable or not, when you're burning plants and biomass, you're still creating creating emissions. So if you want to go green, you're not really going green. But if you want to go, but if you want to push this electric agenda, where are the batteries going? And it's it's hard as a consumer, as a person that wants to see the big picture, that wants to see where we can go so I can support it because I want to support it and I want to see it happen. How do I do it without emptying my pocketbook so people, other people can profit? It's also how you look at vehicles, I think. When you're looking at vehicles on a lot of the, the book, they look at them as disposable. I think I heard charge it like a cell phone, treat it like a cell phone, mm-hmm. right? We get new cell phones every couple of years. But Jeepers tend to kind of latch on, and not just Jeepers, but car enthusiasts in, in yep. general, oh, yeah. tend to latch on to a vehicle that they want to keep for a really long time and they want to upgrade it. They, they've got kind of this, this feeling of a, this attachment to it. And, you know, that's that's their hobby as well and so i think you've got to approach it from and i think that's where tesla's doing good they're they're actually approaching it kind of that obvious mentality i've got a buddy of mine who's a i guess the word would be technologist and you know he's on his <laughs> second tesla and he's got the um 
what's the one that has the ludicrous mode or whatever it is. And, and I'll admit, getting in that thing, the, the speed is just sickening. I mean, it's just it's a weird, weird feeling. But there's no sound. And as someone that has the the hobbyist mentality that I have, I gotta have sound, right? I want to hear the exhaust. I want to hear all that. That that's that's part yeah, of it. Sound, but, right? But it's yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with the sound from the Porsche owner screaming because you just left his ass. That that's well, the that's but, a good sound for me. <laughs> but it's getting it's getting a new group of people into the enthusiast market, right? And I think that enthusiast market is going to drive a lot of kind of where we're going because there's such a huge industry around that and the aftermarket world, whether it's building lift kits or whether it's building superchargers for challengers or whether it's whatever it is. The, the aftermarket industry does drive a lot about where we go and enthusiasts drive a lot about what we do with cars. And if you build it and you go into the full mentality of a disposable car, I don't think that really goes anywhere outside of major metropolitan cities. But, but John, that's, well, where the, that's where the, the electric car industry is going. The next generation of Teslas I was, I was reading up on, their chassis batteries it's built into the chassis. The yes. battery is part of the chassis. So when your battery goes, you have to dispose of your vehicle or you're not just doing that $10,000 battery pack. You're, you're rebuilding the vehicle like, you know, and it's a unibody. So it's not like you're going to be able to do a chassis off and redo it. They're, they're, they're looking because it's, it's more efficient. You know, and it's, it saves weight. Right? Well, you're going to have it's the weight of the battery one way or another. So why have the weight of the, the frame of the vehicle and the battery just make the battery part of the frame? Exactly. Well, but it's, it's diversification, though, right? I mean, they're not getting rid of their ludicrous plaid, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, Dodge, it, Chevrolet, look, they've got the Corvette and they got the fucking Cruiser. Yeah, having did, great right? problems. Yeah, but the funny thing is, is that we're going after the wrong market altogether. Because in the grand scheme of things, the consumer market of your everyday vehicle is a small part of what is actually contributing to uh, the use of fuel. I mean, go after. Uh, start designing airplanes that can go off the electric instead of going off the diesel, or off the uh, fuel. They start designing fire engines and uh, construction equipment or, or earth moving equipment. That's where the big uh, fuel consumption is. So why are they put, uh, putting it on us uh, or the consumer to build or to, to drive electric vehicles when even if we do go to that, we're still going to have the same problem with fuel because all those other uh, industries that I just mentioned are going to be still consuming the majority of uh, uh, contributing to the majority of the problem that we're trying to prevent anyway. Well, just like you have to tax the middle class if you want to have uh, any any kind of meaningful income uh, for government, you have to make the middle class uh, do the electric stuff so the environment will get cleaned up uh, because the middle class is the the majority of the people. So you're not going to make but it's not the majority of the problem. I think from a quantity wise, it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, scale, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's going to dwarf anything else. I mean, right. I understand fleet vehicles are a, a huge part of it and commercial vehicles, but the average person, I mean, I think you even said you have five vehicles, right? I mean, that's just one person. So I still think consumers probably going to drive the majority of the market. Right. Well, well and that's how technology is developed in general. Technology is developed by the by the consumer testing out new technologies, and then it becoming viable as that technology is developed through generations as the consumers buy them and it finally goes from being a niche thing to being a mainstream thing in the consumer end and then it crosses over to commercial that's that's a more common thing for new technologies 
Except for, you know, you go cell phones and things like that. Well, that was developed by the, by the government for military. And that's the other, the other way technologies come. But a lot of technologies come through the consumer end. That's where, that's where flight came from. The Wright brothers were screwing around in a field and they finally got a plane to work. And then a couple <laughs> other guys said, hey, the Wright brothers did it. I'm going to get it. And that's, that's where planes came from, you know? Yeah. And where did electricity come from? You got some crazy dude in his lab that was, that was playing around and he figured out how to do electricity. And that, you know, so that's, that's how I see it. Yeah, I don't. Are, are they doing I, anything I with standardized with charging? Because <laughs> I know some of the vehicles. I know I've heard like the the higher end Porsches and the Teslas don't work off the same charging system. Are they doing anything that's standardized? So no matter what charging station you go to, you can charge your vehicle. Or well, this is like Beta and VHS, uh, Larry. I mean, it's a little too soon for a standard. You got to see how it how it flushes out. HD, Tony. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, a good, so, that's a good question. So so class, back to, and everybody else uses the same one. So Separate. back to Dan, is, or are these standards part of like IEEE or anything like that? Are they developing actual, you know, industry <laughs> standards off of the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, so there's there's a variety of, of uh, IEEE or Society of, or now they're just SAE um, committees on the, on the connector standards, on the communication, on cybersecurity, all that kind of stuff. So the Tesla, love them or hate them, went off and did their own connector. So they're kind of the Betamax of the world. Uh, everybody else, uh, for home and work, you have one connector. And then um, for on the go, the, the fast charging, it's that connector with two more pins beneath it. So it's the, it's kind of like an all-in-one connector. So in Europe already, the regulators told Tesla they had to switch. The regulators here haven't, haven't done that yet. So, um, or I don't know if they ever will. So that's, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how you can have, you know, 10 kilowatts, but the freaking plug is different. You know, it's like when your phone dies or the laptop dies or what have you, and the person next to you has a power cord, but it doesn't fit. Hey, it worked for Apple. Set. Look at all the money they made off of $50 power cords. <laughs> well, Apple, Apple also had to switch in Europe. The, the regulator oh, told me they had to go USB-C. <laughs> no, no more awesome. They were so pissed yeah, off so. in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's just. <laughs> it's it's a profit deal. <laughs> That's one thing I've seen, you know, with with my travels. That Tesla has done a fairly good job of putting charging stations all over the all over the country. And I, I don't they really have. I, I don't know about the other. You know, I'll, I say the Porsches. I don't know too many of the other EVs. I know the Audi's got one and a few others, but. I don't know if they have the same type systems or your networks out there like Tesla's put up. Well, I think there's the electrify has. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. Oh, there's a uh, Electrify America is is pushing theirs pretty hard. They're going to be probably the second for DC fast charging nationwide besides Tesla. And I'm pretty sure okay. they use the CSS uh, adapter, yeah, which is the same one that Europe as standardized did you say dc fast charging yes yeah, so yep, there's DC. there's three levels edison lives charging in america <laughs> yeah 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 there's there's level one and two and that's ac uh -huh. you know 120 and 240 and then level three would be your dc fast charging and that's what the like the tesla superchargers are i had no now, idea can you charge at the tesla chargers with the 4xc uh no not well you cannot charge with a, fi with a fifty dollar adapter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm yes. Just now the, I'm just the destination 
uh, chargers, which are the, the ones that like hotels for Teslas, you can buy a adapter that converts it to J1772, which is what yep. the four by E takes. Wow. Okay. I just want the uh, the cow piece so I can park in the inexpensive electric parking area. So I just do this little, I guess I could 3D print it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've seen quite a few people put uh, like all their air controls underneath that panel. <laughs> yeah. yeah that'd be a good, good cool. idea. Well, uh, Daniel, you know, and since I didn't talk much, I didn't uh, have much of an opportunity to call you David, which I'm very happy about. Uh. So, so we're we're here over an hour, and I'm gonna wrap this thing up. Now you don't have to go, and if uh, you were part of the Zoom meeting, you didn't, you wouldn't have to go either. We're just wrapping it up for this recording of the roundtable. Uh, Daniel, thank you very much for making time for us. Don't leave yet because uh, you can leave anytime you want to, but. I'm sure the Zoom people uh, have more to uh, to bounce off of you. I did want to yeah, mention. Happy to stick around. I did want to mention one thing really quick, uh, and I'm surprised nobody else did. Now, uh, California had uh, they were making a request for people not charging their vehicles because of uh, uh, power grid issues. So I don't know exactly why that was. I think we all just kind of chuckled about it, you know, because of all the the push for green energy out in California and air power and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, What was the reason for that? Because it kind of sounded the way you were describing it. There should have been ample power to handle uh, everything and charging vehicles. Uh, I'm not quite sure exactly, but I, my hypothesis, my, I'd imagine it was because of the fires that we've had. So about these last two or three years, they've, the the big utilities when it's windy will uh that's right it was reduce or or turn off the turn off the the power in certain parts of the state yeah which is a big deal because i mean not only is it cars but you know if you if you have someone who's on like a medical device or you know obviously your wi-fi all that kind of that's a a really big deal so there's you know we're a long way again nobody has a magic wand we're a long way from 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 perfect um that's for sure so and the other thing I, i was wondering about is there are, are there places that you would want might want to go in the United States that you can't get there in an electric vehicle simply because there's just not charging uh, stations along the, the route that you're going to? Or can you plan it in such a way? Uh, and, and you may not know the answer to this. I'm just, cu- just curious if you do know. Because I got the feeling that there's somebody's grandma's house that they can't get to in an electric car. Uh, and it, it's going to be on Thanksgiving when they're trying to get there. And it's just going to be a very sad story. Yeah, I mean, people have crisscrossed north, south, east, west, the U.S. and in, in, in EVs, but it still is a kind of a case by case basis. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't live in my hometown anymore, uh, but I'm about, I'm about 300 miles away from that family cabin, which is 250 miles on a four lane ish type road, and then another 40 miles on a twisty two lane highway along uh, a river, and then 10 miles on a on a dirt rock mud road with a creek crossing yeah now they just put in fast charging about 200 miles 150 160 miles in so in theory if there was a fully electric you know rivian jeep whatever you know we could get to the cabin but what if that station's down yes like that's that's the problem (laughs) right now it's the redundancy right it's like i'm not a parachuter maybe someone on the phone is but it's like you go to pull your reserve chute and it's like you know, you get a, oh, at the dry cleaning or something, you know, like there's some problem with it, right? Like that's not a good, good situation. So there's still, 
even when there where there are stations. And again, I think Tesla's done done really well with their redundancy and with their you know the number of actual stations at a site and stuff like that. But there's definitely places that still need more more infrastructure. <clears throat> right. So you know, where where a lot of progress been made, a lot of money spent, but you know more more needs to be done. And then somebody mentioned the destination charging. I think that's also the next piece with <clears throat> you know whether it's hotels or state parks or wherever you go, <clears throat> making mm-hmm. sure there's charging there for people. You know, if you're parked there for a couple hours, you can get a charge. Right. Well, I guess this is a lot like when people were coming out from the east to the west in wagons because there was, wasn't was much there. They were blazing the trails. And obviously, this is much better than that. But uh, I guess that's really kind of where we are right now. We're just uh, – it's it's growing and developing. And uh, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting – uh, say 100 years from now, maybe even 50 years from now, if uh, you know, I listen to this podcast and this goes, oh, you guys <laughs> had it all wrong. It was just around the corner. It's going to be nuclear reactors in every vehicle. We'll have plenty of power, and uh, but the he- vehicles are very heavy because of the lead shielding. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, thank you very much for being with us uh, here tonight. And like I said, hang in there so you can continue to talk to the Zoom people after I wrap this thing up. So, uh, you guys know how it works. Uh, we do the roundtable. Uh, we record the roundtable every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. And you can be a part of the uh, the Zoom room or the, uh, the, the Zoom nights of the roundtable, if you will, uh, simply by uh, logging on to, or actually not logging on to, just going over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and scroll on down there until you see the newsletter and then sign up for the newsletter. You'll get a, an email uh, once a week and it will remind you about... Uh, our, our Zoom meeting both on uh, Tuesday and Thursday night that you can be a part of. And it's free. It's simple. Uh, you heard everybody getting in there and uh, talking it up tonight. And uh, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, I, I mean, I can't tell you how excited I am. I've always wanted to have like a call-in show. And this is the next, next best thing. They couldn't do this in radio uh, 50 years, having a, a group of people on the uh, uh, on the phone all at one time. It, it costs big money to do that. Now you can just do it easy because the internet. Anyway, uh, join us. Uh, the, this uh, Remember, we have uh, three episodes a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, join us uh, this Thursday in the Zoom room, and you can be part of our campfire side chat. So until then, have a great night, and uh, we'll see you very, very soon on the trail. Podcasting since 2010.